Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. I'm your host, Crisis with a K. I'm here with my very good friends and X-Men fans from around the world, Harry, Tyler, and Fariha. And we're here to talk about the X-Men comic books out on the 5th of May, 2021. There were three. Hellions, number 11, Marauders, number 20, and X-Men, Curse of the Man-Thing. So before we get into the discussion of those three comics, we have to give you our standard warning. This is a spoiler-filled show. We're here to talk about the details of these comics, how they connect to other comics in the age of Krakoa, and how they reference Marvel's proud history of mutants. So it's a full spoilers program, and you should get involved knowing that fully. So today, I'm going to take over, and then I'm going to ask myself a question, and then I'm going to answer that question in lieu of starting <laughs> off the show. Why? I don't know, because this is free as a day. I don't know. Do you even um, need us here for this? Should we, yeah, we are you going to talk it? about all three issues? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's going to be fun. You guys stay here, you know, because I need to, you know, I, if I start crying, then, you know, you guys will be like, oh, you know, yeah. Like, you know, just make me feel better, okay? okay. Um, so today's question, like, you know, at the beginning of each uh, episode, Peter usually asks us a question and we happily answer those. So today's question that I'm answering myself, asking myself is, uh, tell us at like, you know, a time, like, you know, sorry, it's like the best memory I have of each of you so far, you know, so I know each of you about two, three years now. I think I know Peter a little longer, um, Tyler's next and then Harry. Um, so, but we all, I kind of learn of all of you through the Facebook group that we talked about. Um, so there's like, you know, so anyway, um, so I'll start with Peter because he's the one I've known the first. The best memory of Peter that I have is that, uh, one time, like, you know, we were, we used to chat a lot and then we kind of, like, didn't, like, we were keeping in touch, but it wasn't necessarily. And then he was like, oh, we should do another a show together. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then he was like, well, you know, we should start a little early so we can just catch up and then start the show. I'm like, oh, that's neat. And then, <laughs> so the thing is, I was running a little late. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to be running a little late. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but don't forget, I want to catch up. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, so then when I'm in suspense of what I wanted to catch up about. I don't even know. (laughs) No, no, no. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, what is, what is the, what is the thing? Like, you know, what's going on? And then I logged on and Peter genuinely just wanted to catch up about life. (laughs) It wasn't like, um, like, you know, any transactional thing. It wasn't like, oh, it's about like the show that we're going to be doing. This is the plan. It's none of that. He just wanted to know how I've been doing and how is my life. I was so taken aback by that because I don't think I've ever had a conversation like that with anyone. Like, you know, nobody ever like, like, you know, hunted, like, it's not hunted, like, you know, it's like, oh, no, 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 you have to, it has to be at that time because I have time allocated to genuine <laughs> catch up. So I was like, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was one of the best feeling I ever had. Like, you know, I didn't know nobody, oh. nobody ever cared. <laughs> Peter set aside a specific time just to catch up with me. 
uh, Tyler's uh, one of my best memory of Tyler was like we met up at a con at con like in you know, NYCC. Uh, Tyler is usually the one who is holding on to my badge because he gets the badge somehow, and then I'm like, okay, fine, and then he runs like you know, <laughs> at the very first thing in the first day and hands me the badge, and then I get it. That's uh, our rule, you know. I can't wait for NYCC to come back so we can do this again. Um, but um, one time he took me to this nice fancy restaurant uh, for dinner, and then it was fish <laughs> that we that I had. It's not his fault. It was just my fault. I mean, and the fish didn't sit well with me. I'm not a good fish person. But anyway, I do like Namor though, but not a fish person. So. <laughs> Oh so, so anyway, then I got sick, <laughs> and then I started feeling a little bad. I'm like, oh damn! And then it's like, oh okay, so it's like you know, I have an Airbnb set. I'm like, okay, I'll go. I'm gonna go there. And he's like, oh, I'll come with you. And I'm like, oh okay, are you sure? He's like, yeah, yeah. And then um, so we got on the Uber. We went to the place and then we, I realized this mofo didn't have elevator and he's in the fifth floor and I have this suitcase full of books that I brought to the con. And I was like, Ugh. and guess what? Tyler's like, mm, don't worry. He grabbed the suitcase and they walked off <laughs> the story. <laughs> and then... Yeah, and the Superman did, and he's like, "Okay, hurry up, let's do it." That was breathless. That was breathless. <laughs> it was breathless, and he just left. I mean, and I his, was... her landlord is actually quite cute. Yes, um, you know that, but but I did not know that beforehand. So I only knew that after, <laughs> and then the thing is, it's not the fish that did not sit well with Fariha. Fariha did not eat for the entire day. And uh, she ordered sake. And that oh. was the first thing she drank before any food. <laughs> so, so halfway, I think it's about halfway or third through our dinner, she was buzzed. And then she got sick. <laughs> never again. I'm never bringing Hard this many no. books and stuff. So yeah, so that was my Tyler story. So for my Harry story, um, Harry actually has a lot of little, little stories because, you know, most of the interaction with Harry I have over is like um, via chats and everything. But the mm -hmm. one that it's the, because I think like the, the reason I picked this because I'm like, oh, that is a start of a friendship of sort. Because the reason Harry reached out to me, because I'm the admin of the group that we're all part of. <laughs> and then he reached out to me. He's like, hey, listen, can I tell you something? And I'm like. Oh, okay. What is this about? You know, he's like, oh, I really want to, um, want to ask this if it's okay if I post about cosplay. And I'm like, hmm. Oh, I was really <laughs> nervous. Like, yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, cosplay how? Like, you know, and it's like, oh, what, what, I'm like, yeah, go, go right ahead. Like, and I didn't know that was it. He's like, no, you know, I mean, you know, my brothers and a brother and I, we kind of do cosplays in different cons. Yeah. And then, you know, uh. I wanted to, wanted to kind of post that. I'm like, oh, that's so wholesome. Uh. You should post this on these days and stuff. And that's how we kind of started ch chatting. Then mm -hmm. there was a whole issue of like, I sold him some books, the books that never reached him. <laughs> and then we became friends over Hickman's Avengers. 
And then mm-hmm. when we finally met Hickman, Hickman in Chicago uh, Comic Con C2E2, Harry decided to introduce me to Hickman. It's like, oh, thank you for taking time to talk to me. And now this is Fariha. And then he just, just walked away like this. <laughs> I this was your moment. I was just passing it off to you. I was I, like, this is time or time. I was like, hi. You are not supposed to know me. I, I'm just a fan. I think <laughs> he is supposed to know contract. you. We're all supposed to be yeah. introducing him like that every time. <laughs> oh, so yeah. God. So those are my memories of uh, you guys. Aww. For Marauders number 20, as we always do, we're going to start with our initial reactions before digging in more deeply, and we're going to start with Tyler. I, I think this is a fun send-off issue. Um, a lot of it has to do with a little bit of nostalgia for me. Um, there is great art. There is The colouring is quite good. Um, you know, I mean, I, I like it. I have not liked... I mean, it, and even, even though it mentioned the Verandi once, at least we don't have to look at those kids anymore. So I give it a, you know, 3.5 knives out of 5. <laughs> Harry. I really like this. Uh, I am such a mark for this kind of issue, which is just kind of the calm before the storm, or in this case, in an actual storm. But it's very just a lot of reminiscing and a lot of great art and a lot of just talking about how great Storm is. And like, I'm not made of stone. That's a great pitch for a comic. Like, it was really fun. And, you know, we've been reading this book for a while and we've had our ups and downs of it. But like, we get to this point and it does feel a little earned that they're having like a send off to one of the bigger characters on the book. I just, I felt like quietly satisfied at the end. Like, this was a nice marker of the series. And uh, yeah, I'd give it a, a happy four uh, knives out of five, which is not as many as other people have in this book. <sighs> Furiha. So when I'm, whenever I'm trade, trade reading or like reading like a long-term stories, I, uh, I absolutely love these kind of issues. Like absolutely love that when the characters get to sit, to sit down and they're talking about whatever. And then there is usually a party, um, so because of that, this was obviously like written for me. Um, and then there's like all these different, you know, um, stuff that has thrown in. Then I'm like, now I'm like, I know all of this now. <laughs> <laughs> I know all of this now. So that was like a very, um, like, you know, that really got me. Uh, but the one that was like, you know, got it to five, five out of five because um, what's, her, what's his name? Um, Oh my God! What? Lock, what's it? No, no, the Loki, like Loki, the dragon, the purple dragon. The dragon, yeah, the purple dragon, like Loki, right? Yeah, Loki was. He was the captain, and then he was going <laughs> like good. this, and then Emma's like, <laughs> "Hey!" And then the thing is, thing is, my cat makes the exact same face when I do this, like chin scratches. She loves chin cr- scratches, and I'm like, five out of five. <laughs> You know, I appreciated this on one level and didn't on another level. It kind of felt like, you know, this this group, this family, this team around the dinner table sharing time with each other. I don't know that any of the 19 prior issues plus the King and Black issue ever showed us this team 
being a team enough that I actually bought this. I think mm-hmm. that um, if this had spent less time lingering on this Madripoor nonsense, which has taken up way too many issues, and more time just seeing them be the Marauders doing the kinds of things they were doing in this issue, it would have hit for me. But because I don't believe in this team and I don't think that Dugan got there, it kind of fell flat for me because I, I just was like, you, you never gave us this. So why should I have any sentiments about this? Storm barely even felt like a character in this book for most of the run. She felt like she was just there to react to Kitty dying to me. And we all know Kitty didn't die. So storm didn't really matter uh so i but i did love the opening and the closing i loved emma here i think Mm. emma's fish out of water quality on this team and in this group and and then the way she very easily translates between different social circles at the end there is the most fascinating thing and that's the thing i really love about this book and it just felt like the thing that we were getting in this issue was maybe what this book promised it would be and what i thought it would be early on but it never actually really was so it kind of made me more angry than nostalgic which is maybe coming through in my comment (laughs) uh but before this story even really begins we get a data page which is quite an interesting data page because it explains the origin of one of the costume elements that Kate Pride will be wearing to the Hellfire Gala. We know this because we covered all the looks and she was one of the first looks that was previewed, but it's a diamond brooch with a bullet on it, which of course has a significance that we have all read about in Astonishing X-Men. So, Free, what did you think about Emma gifting Kate this very symbolic brooch, symbolic ornament to wear in her big gala debut? So, Kate, um, Emma was the first person that ha- who wanted to get Kate into the mutant dome, right? Mm-hmm. Like she was the one who went to her house first, and then Professor X came, and then all that thing happened. So I think she was already very much fascinated, not necessarily fascinated, but you know, just like, oh, okay, this is one character like that I need to get in under my wings. But I think when the whole bullet thing happened, like for the first time ever. Emma decided to respect someone. Like mm. it wasn't just like, you know, it she she usually doesn't do that. You know, there's like she has like, you know, she everything is a transactional for her, but this is Kate became that one person that she just her respect for her just like went like, you know, in a in a level. And then we also saw that like when she came back, then she was like kind of took her on like, you know, we I need you to help me deal with um what's his name, Shaw, and then did it again. So it's like, you know, it just all came from that. So I think that's one of the reasons is like, you know, she wanted to do something nice for her friend and, you know, did that. And then I just love the whole thing. It's like, uh, P.S. If you decide to give this, give the bridge to an archie, please don't tell me. I thought that was like a perfect line to kind of end the, like, you know, her character and yeah. everything. Um, but yeah, that it's just, I think it comes from a place of respect. And, you know, I think she just can't get over the whole bullet thing. Sorry. <laughs> I, I liked it. I think it's just a nicely designed thing. It's just a nice bit of shading as we get into this big party. And it just shows there's a lot of thought and character that's put behind a lot of the different accessories. Um, and I like the bullet thing. That's one of the first X-Men comics I ever read. So like, it just has a nice spot in my heart. And I like just the warm level, the warm, just continuing kind of respect that these two characters have for each other. It's one of those things I like the most in this book. And it tracks because... Emma did not try to get Kitty at a time into her school, like 
Not just once. I oh, think no. she tried many, many, many times. <laughs> at least times. four times. At least. Yeah. Better at. So, you know, I mean, you have not reached there yet very hard in the reread. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you're going to get there. The, these two characters have a lot of history in that sense. Right. And um, before I get to the the thing that I that really struck me with this opening data page, um, just a small minor touch thing is that Emma has been using Proteus a lot. Why? Mm, trying to get mm. on his good side, mm. trying to make him trust her, <laughs> trying, trying to, to tell, line to... him up for a big revelation that might be upcoming. Or like, you know, you know. T- hey, tell me what mommy's up to. Tell Auntie <laughs> Emma what mommy's up to. I just, I just thought, like, you know. So how's yeah, the family? <laughs> yeah, how's I mean, the family? Yeah. What's going on? Have, have killed Dustin lately? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, the, the truth is, the, 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 I mean, besides that, I mean, the truth is, I mean, it's two different layers. The first layer is that I, I absolutely love how much um, thought that um, each writers and each artist put into the whole gala thing, even if it's just a one night thing, even if they are just drawing that character for once, I think they put yeah. quite a bit of thoughts into it. And I... I don't actually remember something lying right that so many people put so much effort and thought behind it. And it just it just makes me as an X fan, as a long term X fan, really, really excited and really, really, mm-hmm. you know, overjoyed in a sense. And then this is a super nice callback to the end of Astonishing X Men. In particular the issue Dust which is one of the few comic books that actually made me cry. So mm-hmm. so this kind of like, especially the last monologue by Kitty, right mm-hmm. after she had sex with Peter for the first time. That's why Tyler and... cried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they consummated. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> well, if you have to know, another comics that made me cry is I Kill Giant. Oh, for yeah. sure. Oh, oh well, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I made my uh, my sister was fighting with my mom. I made her read I Kill a Giant. And, a- and then she became very chubby with my mom again. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> so, was so good. Uh, but yes, okay. agree to all of this. That's a Tyler. Sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm kind of done after okay. you guys talk about Peter. But anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but. Well, one thing I would say, though, like, you know, you said that as an X-Men, a long-term X-Fan, X-fan that you were so excited about it. I'm like, as a short-term X-enthusiast <laughs> and also, but as someone who loves looking at good-looking people, I'm super excited about this gala. Yeah, I'm <laughs> just excited. As well. I'm all over for the party. And there better be, like, huge reveal where there's, like, mm. Indian Bollywood-style dun-dun-dun-dun face of everyone. I want, I'm living for that. Do you know how, how long it has been since I've been to one of my family's wedding? It has been a I, long time, so I need my drama. I am so excited for these issues. <laughs> Good lord. You know, I, I think the three of you covered why this data page, it's it's really one of the best pages in the book, except for the last two pages, which we'll get to. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that really hit me to expand a little bit, I think, on Freya's point is 
Emma was so impressed and respects Kitty so much for that sacrifice. But Emma knows tragedy and sacrifice because I always come back to one of my first comics, maybe my like sixth or seventh comic that I ever read, uh, Uncanny X-Men 281, where Emma has to watch this class of, of... Oh, yes. Free, close your ears, because I'm going to spoil you super, yeah. super hard for Emma. Super, super here. hard. Um, Emma has to watch her whole first class of kids be killed, which is a, an experience we know that now Xavier and Mora have had as well. It's almost a rite of passage for these teachers. Mm-hmm. And Emma herself would have done anything. And she ultimately does sacrifice herself, and only but for the grace of Jean Grey does she wind up li- living, which kind of mm-hmm. introduces a whole new dynamic. And so I think... Kitty in the bullet always makes me think of Uncanny X-Men 281 because Kitty was supposed to be her original student. And here's Ki- Kitty sacrificing herself, a thing that Emma has done, and, and Emma can't stop either part of it. And in that moment, she respects Kitty so much, as Freya said, not only because she respects her choice, but she's like, you're, you're doing the sacrifice and you're doing the save the world and you're my student and I'm losing you and I have to like, have all of that as once like kind of almost the teacher has become the student like i'm seeing this person that i've traumatized that i've tried to recruit make this choice and i think that i always view any kitty emma scene through that whole complicated series of events right uncanny x-men you know 129 then all the subsequent times she tries to recruit kitty and then 281 and then the bullet and then and then so that's i think why a page like this like hits for me so so much and and for all the reasons you've all said too uh clearly it's one of the best relationships in all of x-men and, and it's fun to mine and i think dugan does a, a really good job with it so yeah. now we're all around the table with storm reminiscing about our favorite storm story Everybody gets a shot, although not everybody takes their shot. Callisto passes. So what I want to do is I want to do a lightning round round. You can pick any one of the stories that you want to make your comment about. If we need to go around again, we will. Uh, But which one do you think deserves the most discussion? And we will certainly share that discussion with you if there are things about it to share. Starting with Faria, which one would you want to highlight of Pyro, Bishop, Iceman, Callisto not telling a story, Emma, and Kate? The Emma one really made me, like, you know, happy because <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you know, I remember when that happened uh, because that was their first appearance, like her first appearance. And then, you know, she she took she kidnapped Storm and then Storm was like, ah, nah, and then beat the living daylight out of her. I'm assuming that's where it came from. I don't know whether they, they did that beating up later. Mm. Even if did they did, that's all Kate remembers of Storm. That all the time she beat me up. <laughs> and now no, she's, you know, Emma now she remembers of Storm. That's what I'm saying. Sorry. That's, yeah. You said that Kate. Was it. Just now. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Emma remembers of Storm. It's like that all the time she beat me up. So I thought that that was very... Um, you know, that was very interesting. And I think for coming from Emma, that makes it interesting because, you know, she's not a very much of a physical person, but then also like, you know, there's this all this time when she became, Storm became a royalty and she always wants to become a queen. So and there was this whole thing about like, yeah, your highness, you know, when she was in the school and after all that. So I think like there was like, that comes into play with like, yeah, but you know, she's graceful. It's okay. So if I get beaten up by her. Well, Ty- this were you able this, to place it chronologically, Tyler? Because I have some, I have thoughts. I tried, but it's not exact fit. So the the thing that clue me on to this is that this is Storm in her classic first appearance costume, mm-hmm. and before she became the Mohawk Storm, and during that period, she only met I think White Queen twice. So mm-hmm. once is um. 
like Fariha mentioned earlier in the Dark Phoenix saga, um, <laughs> where um, in the, during the first appearance of uh, Emma, and mm-hmm. the second time was spoilers <laughs> is Uncanny X Men one fifty one and one fifty two, yeah. where they do a body swap, mm. and I actually thought oh. this was the body swap uh, episode, uh, mm. talking about the body swap thing. Um, but when I went back to 152 and look at how it ended, this exact scene did not happen. But Yeah, there's really I no mean, space for it. Mm-hmm. No. So I actually took it as the Emma remembering it yes. her way. Yeah. So <laughs> this did not as actually happen, but Emma just like, oh no. I, I remembered it this way. Yeah, no, I mean, because I actually went back and I read uh, 129, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, again, just to kind of see. And then I, I genuinely like, you know, the way the the way like uh, Storm's faces were, it's someone who's getting beaten up, remembering the beater that mm-hmm. way. It's like, oh, yeah, like she was scary, you know, that's why I didn't win. OK, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it just felt like that a lot more. So Harry, which one you've Emma has already been taken yeah. by Faria. What story would you like to highlight? Uh you know, I really like the first one where he rescues the uh, mutant girl in India because mm. or she rescues the mutant girl in India because you know, it's it's there's a lot of shades to this character, but I'm just I am a mark for like superheroes just making situations better. And like she showed up and saved like a child from like a life of servitude, just mm. beating up ships and like it just was a really nice way to lead this off. It just felt right. And it's like, it's just one of those things I really like about the X-Men. They kind of show up and help these children and students and what have you. And I also just really like the line where they, the shipmaster, what have you just goes, she does the work of a dozen men. And then Storm's like, yeah, most of us do. That's just a really good line. Like it, it landed really well. And uh, yeah, it just, it's just like a really strong start to this little walk down memory lane. Hmm. I mean, Anyone I also have Dugan, thoughts on that one. Dugan being a little bit more, um, well, I mean, I just I recently started following Dugan on social media, and oh. he certainly leaned very yeah. liberal. Yeah, so his his opinions here, are very obvious. Yeah. <laughs> so here he he made some commentary about how the richer nations dump their stuff into the poorer nations of the world, and mm. you know he he did not he did not you know dwell on it, but it is apparent like what his thoughts on on those things are, and um. I, I mean, I just, in, in this scene, I just sort of like really love how um, badass Storm is. She's like, she just catched the whip like, with yeah. a bare hand and it's like, nothing, you know. And, and Bishop mentioned it, which is, which, which I love because when Bishop first appears in Uncanny X-Men, he worshiped Storm. He's I like, get it. I remember that the, I mean, I did not remember the exact words, but I pull out that panel and it says, Storm, every bit as commanding, every bit as beautiful as the legend says. Oh, <laughs> so no. that's, that's, oh. that's Bishop's opinion of Storm. And even I think at this point, Bishop still have that respect for her. Um, the w- one thing that kind of stood out to me for that particular scene is like there's all so many mutants that are currently still out there who are not in Krakoa. Oh no, are, you're going yeah. there again. No, no, I've already <laughs> used that up. I'm only allowed myself one time in a week. But Everybody gets uh, 
yeah, it's already been used up. Uh, but the thing is like, no, I mean, it's, it's like, it, it, there's like still out there. Um, it just like, it was actually kind of shocking. And then I was kind of like to what Peter's point was like, we spend so much time in Madripoor. Why didn't we see these? Right. Why didn't we I, see I more stories? Yeah. This? I was hoping like, for more of this. Like, you know, mm. we saw a little bit of that in the first issues, right? When in Russia yeah. and all of that, yeah. but you know. It also called back to some specific older X-Men stories for me, or at least evoked them for me. Um, The whole kind of taking apart the ships for parts reminded me a little bit of um, Warren Ellis's ghost boxes and where they chase the person that's uh, on the run there. And kind of this Mm -hmm. idea, as you said, that like everybody up the technology changes, dumps their technology down the chain to get broken apart without any thought of the environmental or human impact. And I thought that that was another story that's addressed that. And then also um, the other thing it made me think about is I happen in our household read to be up to Uncanny X-Men 235 through 238, which is the first time the X-Men go to Genosha and like that the, they think they're being this awesome mutant team and solving stuff around the whole world and here's this whole nation that's built itself on the idea of mutant labor that's just happening right beneath the world's eye and until you go there you don't know and even in this like modern Krakone age it kind of made me reflect that this book um derives a lot from that original Genosha plot because it's this whole idea like if you don't go there if you don't put feet on the ground if you don't go and show them a mutant presence they will continue to exploit us and I think that that has a a, a absolute um has an absolute analog in the real world for a lot of people who are exploited in the real real world whether they're ethnic minorities exploited mm-hmm. in certain regions or women that are being exploited in certain regions um it's kind of like it all can look rosy from up outside and then you get there and the um a lot of the scaffolding falls away from that pretty picture and i think genosha was the first time claremont ever really told that story mm-hmm. and this felt very much a part of that line Well, Tyler, what was yours that you want to dig into? You alluded a little bit to Bishop's reverence to Storm, but I didn't want to assume that that was necessarily your go. No, I mean, I wasn't really... I don't really have one, like, super favorite one. I just thought that there were some things which um, Dugan was doing here, which um, he, he... I did not think it the way that you did that well, Dugan should have done it throughout the first 19 issues instead of just dumping everything here. Um, and now that you mention it, I kind of agree because <laughs> I think that... No, because I think that um, the the main dissatisfaction with this ish- this book, this series so far, is the Verandi kids. I really don't like them. <laughs> and I really don't back. buy them. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like I don't buy that they are such a threat. And that is the big issue here um i mean why not just directly go into the russian um you know threat and and, and do that over there or something like that or maybe you just that want is... peter in your book peter <laughs> like, well he's coming he's coming to this book i think i'm just I... guessing <laughs> um, well i mean the other thing also is that now we know that callisto has the powers back because mm-hmm. she was resurrected 
That actually that is... was my favorite one, the non-story from Callisto, yeah. because of because of the sequence of panels, and I think it's drawn brilliantly. Also, the colors. There's two colorists on this issue, I believe. Yes, uh, and they both do a marvelous job. The colorists are Edgar uh, Delgado and Chris Sotomayor, and I think mm-hmm. the colors in this issue are just absolutely beautiful. Really, really well considered. Absolutely bring out all of the best elements of the artwork from. Uh, from Caselli here, and I, I just think they're brilliant. And the yeah. thing that I loved about that Callisto scene is that she says everything without saying anything. By mm-hmm. showing that Storm was both the person who fought her in the Crucible and the person who reintroduced her to the mutant yeah. world really shows that Storm knows her the best, and all of the most formative moments in Callisto's life frequently come from Storm conflicting with her and saying you've mm-hmm. got to fight for this i'm challenging you and it's like it really made me reflect that sometimes your best friends are the friends who will make you kind of put up or shut up and they're the people who wind up knowing you the best and through that challenge that pushback that like you're not thinking about this the right way you've got to go back and learn that's what makes us grow into better people and so Calista doesn't even need to say it storm knows it everybody else knows it too and there's like a little bit of a joke there about like yeah because storms tried to kill her so many times there's a little mm-hmm. bit of like a maybe a sexual innuendo there who knows yeah but to me it really just made me think about like you know who your real friends are because they're the people who help you change and this is Callisto saying in that way you're actually my best friend and which is why I think Dugan is such a great writer because he he basically filtered the relationship down to this really really um concise point like this is he barely says anything but you get it all that's why, like, I, I understand your points that maybe this book got too lost in the woods with the Madripoor arc, but, like, he writes it so, like, these characters so warm with such a sense of camaraderie that, like, mm-hmm. that, like, even when it, maybe they're the arc was a little long, like, I do, I personally do buy that you can have this kind of, like, conversational thing where, like, there's a lot of, like, warmth and happiness there. Like, it, it it's weird, like, emotionally it sells maybe more than the actual plot did. I don't mm. know if that fully makes sense, mm. but, like, it, does. Yeah. it felt it does. right in the moment. No, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, once again, Dugan does it so well. It's like he calls yeah. back everything. And With if I doubt. even, yeah, even if I yeah. don't know it, doesn't matter. It still lands. How does I, he do that? I don't want to be know. a jerk, but if, if X-Force did this issue, like a, a, a hangout <laughs> issue, I wouldn't buy it for a minute. But like Dugan can write this like with that kind of like warmth, not to keep using that word, but like I, I just know. think of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of writers at Marvel in particular who are credited as these deep wells of continuity who know every issue and know every reference and they love to brag when they come oh, into the I Xbox how I know everything. But do you know what? Having read Duggan on this, having read him especially in his Uncanny Avengers run, his Deadpool run, I would debate that Duggan pulls the stuff not only more effectively than other writers, but to Free's point, never makes you feel excluded. Like, I did not yes. know a lot of Deadpool's history because I had not read a lot of Deadpool before. <laughs> 2013 and like I loved that book so much and there were clearly nods to bits of old Deadpool and it didn't matter and the fact that like all of us got these points in this issue Harry didn't know all those old Emma things Faria has still not read all the old Callisto stuff with Storm doesn't really matter it actually on the emotional level landed for all of us and actually the two of us who knew it the best up here were the ones who were like maybe a little bit more (laughs) disappointed and I think like and I think there's different levels to it, right? There's this ultimate level, which is the, like, invites you in and makes you excited even if you don't know about it. And to me, that's, like, the best comic making does that. Mm-hmm. There's a layer right under that where I think X Factor gets a lot of the time, which is 
makes the thing seem so cool that you feel like you better learn it so that you get the whole joke. Which yeah. is like, to me, just one level of nuance below the invite you in because you're still compelled and you still care but you still kind of feel like a little bit left out and then you go further down to the like well if you had encyclopedic knowledge of this particular <laughs> plot then yeah. I yeah. think she would be good I and then I, you just get people who like are barely even cognizant of the of yeah. the past of these characters this is why I read shared con- continuity comics it's like this yeah. is why I don't like alternate universes because I, I, I want this yeah. It's one thing to just mean, pull stuff out of your hat. It's another also, to actually like, you know, emotionally the, make it connect. Go ahead, yeah, sir. Correct. <laughs> and, and also, like, Pyro just simply dropped the avalanche bit, which I was like, oh, <laughs> come on. But see, that's what I'm saying. You said, like, you said, oh, and I went, cool. Cool. Right, you know? I know. But then if, exactly. if Ewing did that, he would make me feel like a dumb person. <laughs> he, and if Leah Williams did that, I would also feel like a dumb person because they uh-huh. will make it like, a, oh my God, wink, wink. You didn't read those books. I'm like, I don't give a, like, you know, that's, I, I, did I pay for those books? No, I didn't. I paid for your books. <laughs> Thank like, you. Oh. We should read it in the Mortal issue yeah. one time and see how that goes over. Uh, oh no, I so, like Immortal Hulk, by well, the way. But, because yeah, I read I like all the Hulk. Too. Because I read every Hulk <laughs> before it. So so that brings us to this particular scene between Kitty or Kate. Well, before she became Kate, Kitty and Storm, mm-hmm. you know, right at the start of Marauders 1. It didn't quite work then. I don't think it worked now with this. And here's why. I did not really liked the fact that even though it was funny ultimately I did not like the fact that after Kitty couldn't pass through the gate Storm Nightcrawler oh, yeah. <laughs> Wolverine any of the other X-Men that you know has a relationship with Kate Kitty Pride at the time just abandoned her and went to Krakoa and party like what because like life this, is tough. What? Why? Why is the magic there to just teleport her to the to to the island? Like, why? Where is magic? Where is her best friend? And why did Wolverine just give her a, a grocery list? Oh, bring me these beers and brandies <laughs> and whiskeys. I mean, that didn't work then. This fix did not work here either. So this is the part which I really just want to wipe off my memory. Regarding with regards to Marauders. And for me, it comes down to like one specific dialogue balloon in this page. It could have still worked, but Duggan couldn't resist slipping in that, that thing about Emma and plastic surgery. It just needed Storm to say like, we're all needed on Krakoa, um, but some of us are going to have to find our own way to get there. Like, I think if Storm had just acknowledged it and Kitty had been like, and she was right. I think that would have landed a lot better. And it's still the message of the scene. And I, I, it can be fine. I don't need to do a polished pass on Dugan's dialogue. Mm-hmm. He's a fantastic writer. But like, I think that's why it kind of landed with a little bit of a thud for me. Cause I was like, much like you, I was like, here's this moment to actually like show us how Kate got set on that journey that brings yep. us into Marauders One. And I think he kind of flubbed it a little bit. Yeah. It's like a very inorganic way of making this character very isolated, even if it doesn't make any sense considering where who any yeah. of those characters around her are. I mean, it still didn't work for me. Like, it, yeah, it might it. have fixed a little bit more. Like, it, it makes maybe the interaction a little bit more. Um, the, makes it a little bit more more interaction between Storm and, and Kitty, but still, it doesn't fix the inherent problem for me. 
for you know to to so set set Kitty off this path. So, but isn't it because that you know to show that she's her own person and then she doesn't need to be handheld by these X Men again and again and again? Like you know because she was the youngest mutant among them and they pretty much raised her. But I feel like that now it's like. Listen, we're all doing our part, okay? This is now a different status quo. We don't need to hold on, your hand. On one hand, time. that that makes perfect sense for Marauders and it is establishing her as like the solo character who's going to have a lot of growth. On the other hand, it is still kind of crazy. They're like bet yeah. see on a boat later, like it just exactly. But <laughs> but but like emotionally, it makes total sense for this book. So it's kind of like, what do you want to prioritize while you're reading? And I you know, I can see both sides of that. One day I'll figure out when people say that the original X Men team, which is like the ninety six X Men ninety six book, are actually kinder people because they are not as of right now. They are not. They just pretty much do their own oh, thing. Oh, but they and were then, real heroes for oh, us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we're just being heroes more uh, often. What voice is that? It's my it's my it's my Chad 2.0 voice. Uh, my name is like, Chad. Uh, I like, like comics from the nineties. New mutants are like that though. By the way, if New Mutants just left one of them on a boat, it's like here's a boat. Arrive there. I wouldn't buy it. But when X Men does like the original X Men, like you know those senior X Men does it, I'm like yeah, they they are kind of like that. They're like. Make it, make it show up here. They don't call each other when they're alive. They don't call each other when they're like you know have come back from dead. Like it's like they're just well, there's no cell phone then. All right, all right. No Let's yeah. save it for Epic X Men reread. So I want to, I want to turn the opening discussion these final pages over to Harry for a specific reason, because okay. we just went to great lengths to talk about how Duggan invites you in even when you don't know the continuity. Ah, uh, yeah. Tyler Free and I have read the specific story that this is referring to pretty recently. You have yeah. not. So what no. did you think about this heart to heart between Emma and Shaw on the uh, on the deck of the ship here, and how it- Shaw? seems to have a little bit of sentimentality that we have not seen elsewhere in this series. So I thought this was a great scene. And yes, I don't know the character he is referring to. I- I'm pretty used Most to- Most people their- don't, by the way. Don't, it's a yeah. real darn obscure. Okay. <laughs> and that's why I just, I don't even engage that level. I'm just more like, clearly there is someone of import to Shaw who he is not over. Like I understand in the, in the meaning what's happening, which is because D- D- Duggan's a good writer, but like the art itself tells so much of these emotions and Shaw, Shaw in particular has a kind of nuance and like a wistfulness that I haven't really seen in this book yet. Yeah. So I was just engaged. I mean, there's like this moment of like these two characters that have been plotting and they just stop and they're just, just thinking about some kind of like emotional tie and if they can figure that out. And it was like this very weird, interesting relationship between these two and like a cool hint of whatever's to come. I, you know, it's one of those things. It's just like, I don't know the background, but it worked for me really well. And uh, I think Shaw looks incredible. <laughs> he looks like an old sea captain. <laughs> so t- yeah. Tyler, as somebody who does know this background, even before we covered it recently, what yeah. do you think of this development that Shaw thinks it's time to bring Lourdes back? Yeah, I mean, I I was shocked when when the name came up, and I would not have remembered that name had we not did our uh, reread recently. But I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> we should definitely <laughs> bring her back. <laughs> and and for some reason, when the name came up, I just kept. I mean, I just hear her voice, 
in RuPaul's voice <laughs> for some <laughs> reason. Her name. I have no idea why. That is I'll, weird. I'll be like, Chantel. That's that's the way I thought about it whenever the name comes up. <laughs> uh, I, I'm lost, even though the person who knows way too much about RuPaul. This time, I will I hand it over to Faria. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like the character only showed up once, not even in a full issue, in a backup issue. And that one person Shaw probably ever cared about in his life. And because of that person's demise, he somehow decided to, like, you know, later on uh, invest in Sentinels. I don't know how his mind no, he, works. He, he, he basically took over the inner circle. Right. That. Yes, yeah. right. So it was like, you know, a whole thing. Like it was Shaw's, you know. But then I think one thing that really kind of got to me is like these like these two characters are gonna forever gonna be yin and yang. Like, you know, they're always going to be, we're gonna fight now. I'm gonna take you down. And then, no, we're gonna be friends. No, then I'm gonna take you down. It's like, they're never gonna let each other go. And I feel like <laughs> they have come to an agreement on that. And it's like how about we do something that is beneficial to each other? And, you know, and if you look at covers, you're going to figure it out. And I, I love this conversation. And I love that. It's like, yeah, like I poisoned you, but we both have interests and we're both can rise above that weirdly. And we'll just keep on scheming and plotting. And I'm like, I like that part. Yeah. Well, I also think in that there's, understanding. Um, there's always a dominant and submissive aspect to hellfire club i mean it's baked in to that they're based on on some real life kind of borderline sex clubs and uh or at least secret societies that have that eyes, eyes wide shut quality to them B- and borderline it, well, I'm <laughs> yeah. trying, to, trying to be approximate here and uh and you know we've seen throughout this we just recently on epic x-men we read read a story where emma talks about the way she dresses in hellfire club and how she thinks she's using the power of sexism and it's kind of like can you really so this is all kind of baked in and it's kind of like emma's the one with her heel on his throat right now and it's almost like shaw is kind of um enjoying the opportunity to not be in charge right now he's like while you've got your heel on my neck i've had some time to think and i really kind of like that and i also just think that it is so clear that all of these ex-office writers sat down and read that classic x-men omnibus man if you have not been following us on epic x-men reread (laughs) and you have never read all the classic x-men stories i there are so many that have been referenced there's at least 10 i think that we have seen a specific reference to so far in this age of krakow like they're largely claremont and what's not claremont is either nascenti or almost with to only one or two being outside of that group of three and it is yeah. incredibly clear that this group of writers treats those stories with great reverence because this is a deep ass cut y'all this is one backup story from 1987 <laughs> what? it's as deep deep as a cut as a cat and yeah. they are actually are going to reprint that backup story in full i think in next month's marauders and y'all better read it because it is an amazing story and it is going to change your thoughts on the origins of that and the character Drawn. that the character that they mentioned showed up only in that one issue yeah and never by... to be seen okay <laughs> and <laughs> i mean she's of course never to be seen but and and she's drawn by i mean that 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 backup story is drawn by john bolton beautiful art that that particular um short story just and so we're being absolutely clear, she does make a brief flashback reference appearance in a miniseries of X-Fire Hellfire Club issue number four. But otherwise, she has not been seen since mm. Classic X-Men number seven. Just just so we're being I don't totally, think she talks totally in that. Full. I, I don't think she talks in that. She just okay. shows, she's just seen, not, she's just not spoken. Yeah. Because I, 
Yeah, because I went and looked into that too. Uh, so look, the final thing to say here though is not only do they want to bring Lotus back, but the crux of it is it was before Cerebro was online as a backup, also explaining Thunderbird not being around. Although, mm. technically, everybody mm-hmm. supposedly got recaptured during Necrotia. So I don't know why this is even a thing that Shaw and and Emma are saying, but Shaw says he's got a plan to bring to the Hel- to the Quiet Council about that, and every time somebody wants to bring something to the Quiet Council, stuff goes down. So Freya, what did you think about this final comment from Shaw here? No, but Thunderbird's not coming back not because of that. It's because of his relationship to death. He would actually kill himself if, he, right. if he's yes. brought back. But he also <laughs> technically was before Cerebro, and technically the explanation we've been getting for that, at least editorially, I don't know if they've said it in the books, is that mm-hmm. Necrotia kind of put everybody back in the board and, and they got all mm-hmm. their backups. And also, I guess, Chaos War, too. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so any thoughts? What is Shaw's plan that he wants to bring to the Quiet Council? Uh, unsure, but I, I hope that it's not about just taking another mutant nude and then just yelling at them and insulting them. I don't think it's that. It's probably something different. <laughs> but I'm here for it. I just want to see what, what kind of face Mystique makes when that happens. <laughs> oh, you get your dead girlfriend. Oh, you I get see. your okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's that's exactly why I want to see what Mystique thinks about all of this. You know? Like, a, that's, I want one panel Mystique just staring at Charles, like, across the room. Like, that's all yeah, I want Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, people are trying thinking of like within hellions we see someone wants to bring their daughter back then new mutants uh rain wants to bring her son back and mystics is sitting at the quiet council's like okay sure so yeah well folks that is all we have to talk about Wait, before that oh no tyler Uh, has just just a small small thing yeah because no it's not a receipt this time but um i did mention before like i was wondering why Emma used the Sentinel head for the, you know, in the architecture of Looks cool. of, of, of this um, gala. I In this scene, in this panel, I realized why. Because the Sentinel head is um, it's like spiking the enemy's head on a pike. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, yeah. like uh, this is our greatest enemy. Now we're above it. Yeah. Here's so the proof. The, this is like, like, it's basically yeah. a warning. Yeah, that kind so of it's... Thing. It's a flex. Yeah. Well, I yeah, also thought it was you a didn't get hold on. To like, you just you just got you didn't get that in the X Men like giant X Men Magneto. No, that was I it's all not. about. No, no, I knew. I knew that was a, a, a giant. I mean the the head, but I don't mm-hmm. understand why they chose that head to be there. That's the thing just, that I don't understand. Oh, maybe yeah. I'm well, just so vengeful. That's why I got it. Because <laughs> I think it's because I'm like this is exactly moments. In Emma's life. I think it's meant to reference classic X-Men number seven because she views that as when the Hellfire Club almost like got away from some what it could have been. It references Uncanny X-Men 281 because Emma lost her students and she dies as a result of the mm-hmm. Sentinel's attack. And it references uh, E for Extinction by Grant Marson because Emma once again dies and comes back refined as Diamond. Like it's, it's her crucible. The Sentinel <laughs> is the thing that makes Emma's life change, just like Storm makes Callisto's life change. That's why it's not only there from like a story standpoint for Emma putting a head on a pike, but it's specifically referencing the three major inflection points in Emma Frost's history with the Hellfire Club and the X-Men. And there think. better be one scene in the gala where like all the racists pass by it and they see it. <laughs> there better be. For Hellions number 11, starting as we always do, Tyler, what were your initial reactions to this issue? 
Mm, I think whilst stuck the landing, um, in this issue, I mean for this arc, supported by great art from Segovia, um, and it alleviated the fear that this arc is all jokes and there is like no meat to the story. So um, you know, I mean, I, I, I actually really enjoyed it. So I give it a four point two five. Um, you know. Shantrivugish out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Harry. All right. So I'm going to lead off by saying Segovia was phenomenal in this issue. And I think he got to kind of draw some different kind of environments and settings. And that was really cool. That said, uh, I did not like this issue very much. Um, I think it was... To Tyler's point, it is a more serious issue. Um, I will give it that. My issue is that half of this takes place in a dream sequence, which doesn't hold a lot of weight for me in this moment. The other half is I think um, the plot is a little convoluted and a little too like cutesy for its own good, where kind of the plot goes like, oh, there's this whole other thing's been happening. And it didn't really land for me. And then finally, um, I don't think this issue has that many good jokes, which is kind of surprising for me. Um, and I, don't, I think a lot of it hinges on a choice they do with Sinister with a lot of his delivery. Um, but it's, I think Wells thought it was funnier than it was. Um, I was kind of surprised. I, I do think it ends in an interesting place, but um, I would give this a three. All right. No qualifiers. No three, just no a quali- three. Oh, just, right. Just like, it's I give three. It three. Just a, just a, <laughs> no introduction, three. no context. It's a three. Yeah. Three, three silences out of five. Okay. It was just quietly... Yeah. Um, So the thing is, sinister stuff became infinitely funny if you actually think about it from Donald Duck point of view. Like, if you just think (laughs) about it, he's talking like Donald Duck. It's infinitely funny. Um, So the thing is, like, I was totally disappointed how it ended. Like, you know, not the not the super last last thing, but the whole point about sinister mastermind and how they were in on it and all of that, because that's something we actually predicted. So I don't know. I'm like, you know, it's always kind of annoys me when I'm smarter than the writers because like okay then what's your point of existing um but you know the art was really great i liked some of the some of the jokes and everything that was there i especially liked uh where kianon is going kianon sorry not don't say that yeah not kianon sorry this took a weird turn on youtube don't take it there my god you just okay. put us all on a watch list you know that <laughs> damn uh sorry about that like you know that's my just just my language it's it's you know why because i have two root canals that's why and i like my two root canals i'll also give it two root canals out of five. Oh my god wow <laughs> well i think Kicking this is pants. gonna be one where we're all coming with a slightly different slice of opinion here because i I, I think this is, again, Segovia's turning into a really reliable superstar with me. It used to be kind of like, okay, but with him, but there's no more butts left. Like, I think I really just mm-hmm. enjoy him really consistently. I, like Harry, don't really love dream sequences, and so a lot of this didn't hold a lot of weight. I think it mm-hmm. belabored this clone reveal, which we'll talk about in a way that I think we could have maybe got to last issue, and it just felt like um a lot of the dream things felt much more personal last issue, and then it stopped feeling personal in this <laughs> issue. But most of all, I do not read characters um, when they're not speaking in legible English. I just don't. I skip all those word <laughs> balloons. So there may have been jokes. I don't know. I read one and I'm like, okay, this is too hard. And then I just give up. So I didn't actually read any of Sinister's dialogue in this issue. You'll have to tell me you everything don't need to. that he said. 
before before we start, can I talk yeah. about the cover? Please do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. So I just wanted to talk about the cover because the cover is the purple-haired Quanon is holding the black-haired one in a very like ah like you know oh my god I'm in pain and it's like talking about like holding the hair. So we talked about it in a future ish episode uh, because like X Men com- uh, comics our. Um, timeline is also broken about how it's a very much of a gendered thing to hold a superhero's hair like that. Like you don't see that male superheroes ever. Like you know that even if they have a longer hair, you never see that they're being held back by their hair. It's a very women like you know a thing against women to be used like a weapon like use their own hair against them, and we have seen it many times that show it shows up twice in the amount of Claremont's we read. Um, and in that time, I'm like, okay, this was like the past and all that. And then in 2021, we were also seeing that. And I actually, like this morning, I went and looked for, okay, superhero defeated cover, you know? And I looked up whole bunch of male superhero covers. And in all of them, I'm not saying the don't show, oh, female superheroes defeated. Go ahead. Like, you know, because we have male equivalent of that, too. And in all of them, it was like, oh, they're just like punched. They're like going this way. They're just lying down when a uh, when a villain just over them and all of that. For women, it's always like something to do with their hair. They're lying in a very sexual position. So they're both their boobs shows up like Mount Everest. Like, you know, that's the focal point. Or in a situation of Batwoman, there was a Detective Comics thing where there's a sword that's went through her boobs. Like that's that's the that's the thing. So I mean, I don't know. I just kind of was like, ugh. Like it, it, I saw this cover way before when it was first revealed, and I'm like, really? Like, and the thing is, the story point is not even there. <laughs> like it's yeah. not even within the story. So that's like I was like, ugh. Anyway. I think it's the combination of that for me because you have this cover here that Segovia, who who drew the cover as well as the interiors, I think he really did a good job in a lot of aspects of the cover. I think the two Betsy's or the Betsy and Quanon, the two Psylocke's, Mm -hmm. look really distinct from each other. I think they look muscular. I don't think he's done too much to overemphasize their physique in sort of like a gross um, male gazy way other than the thing that Freya is talking about being like a specific trope. And it just it just bothers me that it had to be that you know, like I, I just her, her fist around the sword and then the other one trying to with her foot on it. Like it's really dynamic. And I kind of just wish that it didn't make that the focal point. And then also to Free's point, this version of, of Psylocke Betsy only shows up for like a panel in the whole issue. So it's kind of just, how about pull Grey Crow by his hair? Just for a change. <laughs> He's got long let's hair. Not pull, let's not pull anyone's hair. Like, pull you know, hair. He does. Oh, he, oh you know what? Yeah. <laughs> he deser- he deserves that. it for signing off with apostrophe Kate. That's why he deserves it. Not for anything else. How dare you? Like, also, yeah. I, think, I think I've come pretty close to the arcade hairdo today. I know it's not red, but if you look at his little Murder World logo, I, I re- he's got a little bit more of a Farrah Fawcett curl yeah. on the one side, but I think I'm, I think I'm almost there. So, uh, yeah. speaking of arcade, 
so last week we were introduced to his loyalty protocols, which is basically he holds hostage someone of every employee and he threatens them with death. And that's how he gets good performance from his employees, including Mastermind, because he has Lady Mastermind captured, who Mastermind maybe doesn't care about. Maybe we guessed it. We'll get there. But it all kind of goes to show that he's been manipulated into a very sinister situation because he's cloning people, because he's been convinced that clones are the murder world of the future, except for nobody thought through that after he had clones, he would just have baby clones. And so he's kind of <laughs> stuck in this standoff with Sinister and Mastermind, um, which kind of allows them to pause and be distracted long enough for Quanon to break out. But before we get to that, let's kind of just talk about the full arc through the issue of this arcade clone saga. Uh, does it make any sense? Do, what is Sinister getting from it in the end? What do we think about this manipulation that some of us saw coming far, far ahead, Tyler? I mean, we, you, I think specifically, was the one who's who's like, oh, do you think Mastermind and Sinister are like cooking something together? Like this is this is a plot. And mm-hmm. at that time, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. But you were you were pretty convinced that that was the case. And it turns out to be the case. Um, well, it turns out that Arcade hired Mastermind to kidnap Sinister, and then Sinister double cross. You know, Sinister bought out Mastermind and Double Cross Arcade, basically. Um, but um, I mean, I think the 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 thing that struck me here was that Sinister now has his farm, and in Life Nine, it it was the Martian pits that created the Chimeras, but here it could mm. be the farm, and they are also in New York City. So there is also the man-machine ascent, um, uh, coalition who created house in the South Sand Canal, which is Salem Center, which is mm. in New York. So I thought this obliquely brought back those... Um, those I mean, it hinted a little bit at what could have happened or what could be in Life 9 into Life 10. And I thought that was really interesting. And we know Sinister betrayed the Krakoans. And here is the first step to his betrayer. Maybe different from Life 9. Maybe the same. We do not know because we do not know the details of Life 9. Mm. Really interesting stuff. Time for everybody to go back to Hoxpox uh, 2 and, and Pox number 1 and 2 and study all of the information about Life number 9 as Tyler has done. Harry, what about you? What did you think about this uh, this clone plot. I, I, on a macro level, it was interesting because I do want to see what he's doing with these clones. Um, but uh, in in the moment, I was more just kind of tired of the root canal shtick. So I was just like, happy for you. Very glad. Let's, let's move this one along, you know, um, which isn't the reaction you want when you're reading something for enjoyment. But uh, yeah, like I, I like what you're bringing up Tyler, just like this does kind of tie into the larger story. It cannot be anything good on any level. Um, I was kind of just more like happy to see it move forward in, in a meaningful way um, than I was like enjoying the beat in the moment. Mm. Freya, what about you? Well, <sighs> What Tyler said actually made sense, but the thing is, like, why is Sinister waiting for Arcade to start all the plot? Like, it seems like it was something, it was a moment, is an opportunity that he took, so why he's waiting for that? And is no one 
following Sinister or maybe we're <laughs> going to get that later. Like, you know, because Professor X and Magneto is aware of all these lies. So are they not keeping a better eye on him or maybe they are we just don't know it mm-hmm. yet um i mean it was just like uh, okay okay like you know to me i was like okay i'll i'll see where it goes but i'm just tired of this like i was tired <laughs> like you know i was just tired of like okay like um sure, sure. so you're just tired of this arc involving this plan or are you I am. Tired? yeah it just it just it just went in a very long about way to get us there mm-hmm. like i feel like mm-hmm. there was like a shortcut to get us there we didn't need arcade this is like you know you know this was not needed and it felt like a more like gala's coming wrap it up wrap it up <laughs> that's that's kind of my my big and i felt that way about a few of the books but i'm surprised this is one of them where it was like it felt kind of like kind of like filler yeah, and then also, also, like, yeah. after Exc- Excalibur, like, where mm-hmm. we saw Quana, and so, which probably came after this, it mm-hmm. felt like, okay, we kind of already knew it. So, it's a release date issue. It's not necessarily yeah. a writer's issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there was there was a little bit of that, too. So, I was like... See, sure. I was thinking about that because they, they established that this probably did take a week, all told. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, then, does that mean all of the other Quanan... Uh, appearances we've seen recently have to come before this just because they're like away for so long but then i came to what free was saying i was like well if that happened before this like does this hold any weight because that that kind of resolves her plot with betsy and like would that even appear to her here but sticking to the clone thing for a second i don't mind when a writer saw like resolves the hints that we pulled upon i prefer that to mystery box i'm not a mystery box fan i don't like that concept i don't think you have to always pull the rug out from under me in the final issue a lot of times the pulling the rug or making the rug so complex that you never realized it was a rug or the pattern on the rug i think that's more of a failure and i think that's you know if we go into some of my problems with hickman historically it's because i think the rug gets needlessly complicated before it gets pulled out from under you and so i don't necessarily have a dispute with this clone thing kind of rewarding exactly the reward that we thought and if if i think back i think the thread we actually pulled upon was that like would mastermind care that much about his daughter it's clearly a setup and and i enjoyed that that was the way that it actually kind of like unspooled and at the end mastermind's like kill him and she's like great thanks dad because it is that (laughs) kind of like was set up well but i i kind of agree with everything that we're saying i don't think it was a bad comic book issue necessarily i just don't know that we needed this much real estate to get to this clone ending i think the clone farm ending is interesting that sinister basically wants more satellites of power beyond Bar Sinister, even though Bar Sinister already is a step removed from Krakoa, he wants even more things removed, which is kind of ironic because at the beginning of this series, he made it out like the Hellions were going to be going around and killing all of his remaining original cradles. And then he's totally reversed course and he's making new ones right now. So I think all of that is like super thematically interesting. I just don't know if we need three or four, however many issues it's been. Tenny, twenty, tenty, a number that doesn't even exist to to get to this. Right, so you know why he changed course, though? It's a different Sinister than the first one. You, do you think it's really it. because it's a different Sinister that got killed in X of Swords? Do you think that's Yeah, why? because if you look at the X, uh, Hellions 13 cover, you'll see that. 
I don't, I don't look at cover. I don't uh, read, okay. I don't read mishmash dialogue. I don't look at solicits. <laughs> so, okay, fine. But the thing is, no. like, no, I think, okay. I think it's a, it's a, it's a different. To me, I think it's a different. But the thing is, I think the reason I was so done with the whole clone thing because I, I'm actually because I read Gillen's X Men pretty recently, and I'm just done with Sinister being obsessed with clones. Like, get it, <laughs> get it together, man. Yeah. Like, just get it over with. Like, okay, He's I get lit. it. Like, oh, he's living like, on cool. he's living on cool island and he just still well, wants I mean, to deal with the clones you know like like <laughs> like dr nemesis was saying like you know this is let, let him do whatever he wants to do give, <laughs> give me all the power i'll be the head of everything <laughs> yeah no, like, you know, uh, such a bad idea right now let's talk about the dream sequences right i mean the fact that quanon has to kill so many different psylocke um mm-hmm. it just it just speaks to like how confused she is i think <laughs> <laughs> right i think she she you sound confused she, yeah no i mean she she is she has been taken over by betsy for so long and mm. and you know and she's trying to find her own identity and everyone that comes for her she kills so that i thought that kind of tracks with what happens after that in Excalibur. Mm. because she finally yes. she's like i know who i am now yes. right and then, you know, and then, of course, it also establishes Grey Crow's crush on her here and her dependency on Grey Crow um, by calling out for John in the past issue. So I thought there was a little bit of, like, character development here. And also, there was a little bit of a silent redemption of Empath here because Empath was jumping to help um, Alex, when that um, you know that Mojo uh, Quanon basically hung Alex <laughs> off the cliff with the collar, mm. so I think there are a little bit of you know character development here. Ooh, now it's like three root canal out of five. <laughs> Still giving it a three. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, I completely agree with the uh, quantum thing you said. Like, you know, the, that, that this kind of explains her Excalibur uh, characterization. And another thing I actually kind of liked about it, because we talked about like, oh, you know, getting the women by their by her Netherlands, but because there's a baby involved, you know. But mm-hmm. one of the things I liked about it is just her reaction to those things. They're just seething anger. Like it's like it's not like, but it's like yeah. oh, I'm gonna I'm coming after you, like you know. <laughs> and then it just like there was like this seething anger that's about her that I'm like, oh, that's different. Let's talk about this. And honestly, after that two panels, I went and ordered Excalibur 13, the Doderman variant cover because. Oh. It has oh. it has a her on it, so so it's today's all about covers, yeah. people. Well, um, <laughs> but you know, but the thing is, I really liked that. Yeah, and it also speaks to the strength of Segovia's art here because mm-hmm. of the um the the great facial acting here. There was one panel of like Grey Crow saying, "Sure, buddy." To Alex. Yeah, that's good. And I thought that was yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, it was it was like sure, buddy. It's like yeah, and she doesn't seen... know, like the way he's like and she doesn't know I'm not alone. I'm like oh, oh. <laughs> you've I, never I seen a actually, less like, convinced felt... person in your life. No, I was I was, I was <laughs> and, very. And didn't, I was, I, didn't we say it that? Cringed. Are you, are you sure that that was Alex' nightmare? No, that wasn't <laughs> Alex' nightmare. Last issue. 
No, it wasn't. It wasn't a nightmare for him. No, his he nightmare wasn't... was being left alone. His nightmare wasn't uh... being chained up as a dog. <laughs> we yeah, knew it's it. like, I'm not scared of being alone. Yeah. Sure, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about ultimately Quanon's breakout here? You know, they're all being chased by their various fears but she's had much more time to deal with her fears and this very it's very like inception like mastermind had to bury her deeper and so more time is passing for her but it's also honed her more because she's had more time pass i mean could did she have to reach that moment in in order to break out like it wasn't if she had stayed by herself would she have ever gotten there did she need to feel like she had a team of people that she was responsible for to give her that final catalyst to be able to kind of break through and get back out into the non-psychic world i mean i feel that's clearly yes like she even mentions that there's gravity when the group of them start to assemble like Mm. that is more of the force that she's able to use to get through this even though Mm -hmm. like she's become a very hardened uh you know like powerful version of herself through time but she's still like within the dream entirely um it's just like a longer dream for her once she sees the others then it starts shifting and mastermind starts having some issues but then also at the same time it's like i think she needed all this time just to focus on this one thing and mm. because she kept focusing on this one thing and just killing it again and again and then it's like she just got like i, I just need to get over this yeah. i don't know i yeah. part of I mean, me kind of understands with that too she got i think she basically just got down to the core the core that mastermind could not touch her with and then she got awakened by the group, basically. Yeah. And and that's what that was why she's like, give me a moment. And she went silent. Because she basically went into herself, I think, and somehow hid herself from Mastermind. And and how um, I mean, look, Mastermind, regardless of how powerful he is, he still needs technology to do <laughs> to to help him. <laughs> just like in Dark Phoenix Saga, just mm-hmm. like here. I, right. I thought that was a pretty good um, you know, a little bit of a good callback, as well as the last part with Arcade, talking about him torturing the teddy bear, which tracks with the Anosanti classic thirty one backup story. Oh yeah, see, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm going to clone my daddy and my mummy, and then I start killing them again, that kind of thing. So like that tracks with that weird story. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna send you the number harry you just read it yeah i didn't know it, it was connected something. i mean it it's, wasn't it's, something it's, we would have recommended before today X- but now we care yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. classic I, x-men 31 i yeah. thought that was kind of like a, in this moment as an unfamiliar reader with that story like i thought it was kind of like a very generic like i'm a crazy sadist kind of thing like i felt to me like kind of lacking personality weirdly which is weird because it's wells and arcade and yet I don't know. I don't know. Um, it wasn't hitting for me in the moment. Well, we ended this Danner today. <laughs> in, an, in an interesting spot in terms of, again, the standoff between Sinister and Quanon. Quanon knows everything. Sinister's whole plan with her at this point is pretty much let her know all she wants. Because Sinister's convinced that his holding on to her child and the ability to potentially resurrect and restore her child is enough that she can twist her to be complicit in everything, which is actually a really interesting beat between a, a villain and a, and a hero that um, she she just absolutely can't break the faith and she can do everything she can to undermine him, but she she just can't speak up 
it's a really good blackmail plot, I think. Yeah. Um, because as the issue points out, she is growing in her trust with everybody else. And at some point, we're going to come to a point where her trust for them is going to have to outweigh Sinister's blackmail of her. That, to me, seems like what's getting set up. But what do you think about where they leave off here? Like, why would she not just go to the Quiet Council? Do you really think that Sinister's promise that he's the only one who can resurrect her child is enough to motivate her to stay silent about now him having his own external clone farm? I don't know if it has to do with her trust with the council, especially given how, you know, um, her and Betsy sort of blindsided the council later on. That's why I wanted that to happen before this, ultimately, because I wanted her yeah. to be like, well, darn. You know, like, yeah. I, we've already tried that, and Sinister mm. has so much power there. Because if you recall, Sinister kind of shut her down a little bit in that scene. And yeah. But again, it's one of those interesting things that it kind of plays in a different way, no matter what order you put them in. But Harry, yeah, did you have any thoughts about where we leave off with Quanon and Sinister here? Well, it's, you know, it's the closest thing to, like, uh, straight face drama in this book, where a mm. lot of stuff's just kind of like having a good time in its messed up way. But this is like this is clearly where the book is going and I'm like all in on this. I, I do love how nakedly arrogant and just like upfront, like about the uh, blackmail that Sinister's yeah. holding over her. Cause it makes and it just look was like, <laughs> and like, it's just like, this guy is so full of himself and he's so sure he's got to unlock and you can just feel that pressure building. And that was the most effective part of the, the book frame, but, but so your point about the quiet council, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of it like on the page, but it's clearly there's like a, a bureaucracy and a hierarchy to this mm. resurrection protocols that like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like if you're, if you're not fighting, if you're not a mutant on a mission or you're not someone with powers that you're going to be at first of the queue. So I could understand Quantum just being like, this seems like a long process. I don't even know if it's promised I'll get my kid back. It could be years. They've mentioned this could be a huge thing. So Sinister's just dangling the immediacy of that. You know, obviously it's her kid. I could see her just being like, yes, please. Like this is much more like immediate for me. Um, um, her kid is I'm also in. not shown yeah. to be a mutant yet. Very good. And Sinister so would be the know. expert in, in non-mutant. I, sh- <laughs> I need to read Fallen Angels. <laughs> but Freya has been hanging oh, yeah. on for a while now. Freya, bring us yeah. home on this point. No, I mean, I was just saying that maybe the whole suddenly trying to be friends with Betsy was because of that. Because, you know, she's probably mm. thinking that with the other world connection, somehow Betsy can help her in indirectly mm. somehow. So, and then maybe the whole everything with the Quiet Council is for her to figure out how everything works. Where does Sinister actually stands with Quiet Council and what she can do and she cannot do, you know? I would be super disappointed if Sinister is just going around and doing all of these things and we're spending resources following mm. the kids I should not mention. That we're we're putting our resources in there and <laughs> no one is following. Like I am just Every, no, time I mean, I about this, every time I think about this, every time I think about this, yeah, it just circles back to it my hatred for that egg one thing. Like kids. it just like I would be so disappointed if like no one is following up with semester. The fact that X that means that X Force has no reason to exist. But 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 if if they were, we wouldn't have a book. No, I know, I know. I'm I'm not saying yeah. that this shouldn't happen. I'm I'm yeah. like you know I'm just saying that I would be very disappointed if there's no one is like. 
hey, we kind of knew what you've been up to. And we, <laughs> let, be you, we, let, you, we let you do all of this because we had this other reason to. You know? That feels like a good joke in this book. Like, oh, yeah, we knew. Yeah. <laughs> like you right? thought this was a big deal. No, we know for sure. Yeah. Like, but, that but, is one. I, mean, I really hope that it happens. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm be back to the point about um, Quanon trying to um, get more information with Betsy because of Otherworld. I mean, the other way I think we can look at it is because she learned that she need she need to um, have a core group in order to find herself again in the dream sequence. And at the end of this, she basically betrayed her group. She betrayed them because of the idiots. circumstances that Sinister and Mastermind put her in, right? Sure. So she dis- so she might have just decided that, you know what, I'm just going to go outside of this group and befriend a bunch of ladies yes. and you know and make sure that you know the the convoluted stuff with Betsy is clean cut and clear mm-hmm. and you know and I have I have my core groups there of support our foundation that is not influenced by Sinister in any way so that could also be the reason and I'm, I'm glad that you know that I had no like going into this Hellions I didn't think that she will be the breakout character for me and she slowly yeah. is becoming a breakout character for me, just because the sheer force of this and Excalibur. Like, you know, now Excalibur is good, you guys. <laughs> what's what's <laughs> happening? Where are we? <laughs> I mean, that's, and that would be my final comment probably on this too, which is that I think it's actually, even if I was soft on this issue, it might be the first issue of Hellions that I've actually been this soft on. And mm-hmm. it's yeah. doing an ingenious thing where we, it's, it's a villain book. It's about Sinister and he's revealing his plots as we go. And we're getting to watch this one villain develop a long game plot and be a main character in their own book. And like, that's not something that Marvel tends to always carry off really well if your name is not Loki. That, that's like, that, you know, Mar- many people have had success with Loki doing it. Not so many other people have figured out a way. Colin Bond with Magneto, you could argue, did it in Marvel now. Um, you he could argue nice that some that people done it with Doctor Doom. Yeah. But like, this is really uh, an interesting thing. And then to have the other lead character be Quanon, who's never held down a book really on her own before. Although, mm-hmm. surely some people are buying it because that's their Psylocke because she's like in that costume. But all of us who are reading it and enjoying it, this is a relatively new character to us to be yeah. actually given her own personality and, and, and her own agency. And it's a yeah. it's a raging success. I mean, if there's one slow issue, we're still tuning back in ultimately next time to read about Sinister and Quanon. It's a weird, weird, weird world we're living in right now. And, and Nanny. Uh, and Nanny. And, and Nanny. like, you know, other bo- <laughs> it goes to show that other books could probably get away with this too. You know, yeah. if you give a villain who's a popular villain an interesting enough long-term goal, you can actually stand to follow them over time and the book can actually be quite delicious. That, that's like, I was thinking about that earlier today. Like, you know, I don't know how much this book will tie into the master plot and the end of the day. It seems like, like it could maybe not much because that's kind of its style. But like, it's cool that this book had the room to breathe and to like explore these weird nooks and crannies with these characters. It's just neat. For X-Men Curse of the Man-Thing, number three, or not number three, it's the third one. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, what is your reaction slash buyer skip for this? I mean... I- I uh, specifically with points um I mean two 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 points in the story I would say that this is just a reflection that it is truly the reign of X and that you know even though Krakoa is not in danger here 
Krakow basically step in and save the planet. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was thinking like, well, you know, given the whole history of Marvel Universe, had the role been reversed, that, you know, Krakow is being threatened by the rest of the planet, it's not. I wonder if the superheroes will all go mm-hmm. in and rescue Krakoa. Of course so, they won't. Exactly. That's my point. And the last point I kind of want to make is that Mimbari Mero does not sit well with me. That looks so weird. And um, buy only if you are a absolute completist. Otherwise, read it when it comes out on Marvel Universe. Okay. Harry? Oh, sorry. Marvel Unlimited. There you go. Uh, so this is chapter seven, eight, and nine of some bigger thing. So that said, this was kind of gibberish. Um, I, I, I don't understand the main plot. Obviously, I'm not going to because it's middle of something. But like, I got the basic idea that they're evil plants. I know literally next to nothing about the man thing. So I couldn't really hook into there. Um, I just kind of enjoyed how much of the X-Men status quo this actually did. I wasn't expecting a, a cancel scene in the uh, random issue of a man thing mini event. Um, and uh, Magic's characterization was interesting. She's just more of like a hell child in this, which I, I haven't really feel like we've seen a ton of, or at least like that like direct in the books right now. That said, I didn't hate this. I think this was a totally fine middle chapter of something I don't understand. This didn't really make me care about it anymore. So I guess in that way, I don't know. I'm going to, I mean, read it on Marvel Unlimited. Nothing about this really screamed like it was worth reading. And I, I want to like Steve Orlando. Uh, I'm just waiting for that book to get me there. Mm. Freeha? So I don't know anything about Man Thing, but I know a lot about Swamp Thing. <laughs> Even though yeah, who came yeah. after Man Thing Everything about Swamp Thing can be put on Man Thing, and you still understand the story. So well, because of that, not not quite, but not okay. Quite. We'll no, you can. Part. There is there is a wife element. There is like, oh, I got turned into a something, like you know, and then I'm a still a like man. The magic and multiversal stuff, and the, like- the, the the man part is kind of dead, doesn't come back. But then there is like other plants okay. and stuff, okay. and okay. then okay. The, okay. yeah, there is there is a thing. <laughs> All right. If you yeah. know that. You kind of understand this. Is it equivalent? No, but you understand it. So based on that, I understood the story. The thing is, what really made me so annoyed that it's like there was a council scene. And in that, it was effing Magneto who says, well, it doesn't affect us, so we shouldn't have to bother about it. Well, guess what, Magneto? There are still mutants out there in the world, so you should care about it. And because these... I really hate it when there's these things that gets inserted in there. It's like, no... Magneto shouldn't be saying this. It should be other characters. There's other villains in there sitting who should be saying this. Don't put these words in there. And there's nothing ho-ho-ho, like, you know, hero versus hero about it. It's the freaking world that you're all... It's what, like, you know, like, remember, like, the legendary Star-Lord said, I'm one of the idiots in this (laughs) galaxy. That's who you are, one of the idiots in this world. So you should care about it. The other thing is, though, Magic's uh, fascination with Ghost Rider made me laugh so much. I absolutely (laughs) love that because the girl grew up in that kind of scenario. And that's how her sexuality is kind of developing into fiery 
people. Kiss me with your skull. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, like my magic, my magic razor only works mouth to mouth, but you need to have the fiery scale skull on. I mean, you know, like well, most people, yeah. most some girls are into bad boys. She's into actual demons from well, yeah. <laughs> not just demons, aliens too. Remember in Newtons? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like because that's how she grew up in her her choices kind of features into that unconsciously. Yeah. I love I mean, that. just like Nemo. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm like, I, I really like that. And, but otherwise I say read it on Marvel Unlimited. It's, it's, it's a very standard, no matter how you look at it, it's a very standard uh, rock and sock and Marvel story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have read all. Oh, go ahead. No, I just, I also don't understand why 50th anniversary of man thing needs to be celebrated property rights or something. I don't know. Every man thing gets celebrated. Uh, so, uh, I did read, <laughs> I did read all three of these. And, uh, and the first one with the Avengers was pretty good, actually. Who wrote I like, it? was pretty excited. Orlando wrote all three. Oh, okay, And it was just, yeah. it was fun. It was kind of like the Avengers weren't sure quite how to deal with this thing. Like, it's fine. You can be not afraid and not burn at its touch. There's, like, plenty of Avengers who aren't afraid, but then what? What What then? And they kind of realized that they've kind of, like, come up a little bit short. But then the middle issue with Spider-Man, I mean, it's better than the current Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> run, but I think a child could write a comic book that's better than the current <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man run. And then we came to this issue. And what really struck me is that you know orlando mostly has been writing for dc all this time yeah he's obviously a huge x-men fan nobody who's not a huge x-men fan picks the cast of marrow mamomax wolf cub forearm and shark girl Girl. like this is somebody who is in deep and he clearly really delighted in it and he clearly really wanted to do something specific with magic that too few people deal with with it which is like what does it mean for her to have custody of hell anybody who was a big reader of new mutants under claremont and then simonson's pen cares about the idea of what it means for her to have custody of a hell dimension limbo because when she doesn't pay attention to it things go wrong there's a point in new classic new mutants where she's just sending whoever they have to get rid of through the portal but she's also sent the to virus for the portal and it pretty much causes inferno so this idea that like she really should have some opinions about that as somebody who's older now and and is is um has more agency and has more responsibility makes sense. And for that, I really appreciated it. I just don't know if anybody's written that aspect of magic. I don't know if they he wrote magic incredibly well, like character voice-wise, but I think to take that angle was really interesting. So I think if you love magic, if she is your jam, and especially if you really like that kind of like limbo has consequences part of magic, you should probably buy this or at least make a point to read it because it's one of the few things I've seen do that in this modern age of Krakoa. However, for anyone else, unless you're the world's biggest Mamomax fan, um, I think you can probably just wait and enjoy this on Marvel Unlimited. And I will agree with Tyler. Marrow does not look right and any of the panels here, does not, <laughs> there's something really wrong with how she's being drawn. No, she's a Mimbari. <laughs> she's basically a, a Mimbari here. A Mimbari? Babylon 5, Mimbari oh, with the head. <laughs> she does look, maybe that was the character model. I know, <laughs> I know Marrow. I did not realize this is Marrow. So. No, she looks, yeah. she's, yeah. 
Anyway, Peter, yeah. Peter, uh, you just made a great case for a book that's not super enjoyable to read. I've never seen like a bigger divide between like the themes being discussed now and the experience <laughs> reading the book. I don't even know if that's an insult. It's just like it's just I don't no, know, but, man. But maybe yeah. put uh, put Steve Orlando some guest appearance as a um, New Mutants writer or like he's something with something with magic. He's I done like, good stuff for DC. Like he's got a, but then he's done some stuff that's boring. Like I like his I, story choices and his sensibilities, but like I just don't like his voice. It's not yeah. like there for me. I don't know what it is. Like their well, actual give, voice. Give him yeah. someone that is underdeveloped. Yeah, so yeah. it's easier for him to develop the voice that suits the character than butcher someone. Mm. Well, and I, I want to just throw two more points into the mix there. Um, one is that if I had to recommend one Orlando thing that's really enjoyable, I would recommend a Wonder Woman trade paperback called The Enemy of Both Sides. He had taken over Wonder Woman for slightly longer after G. Willow Wilson's run, but this was actually a filler before her run. And it's with ACO on art, who's incredible. It's got Wonder Woman and it's got uh, Artemis and it's got some other Amazons who have kind of gone AWOL from the main uh, group of Amazons. And it's really, really good. Probably my favorite Steve. Orlando thing and then of course he also has written a number of Midnighter stories which a lot of yeah, people are big fans those are good. and um, that like, is where he worked with ACO first oh yes. I didn't know ACO was yeah. also Midnighter and I think I was just gonna say Tyler and I were gonna say Midnighter and also Midnighter mm. and Apollo Oh, well, I have it actually, yeah. right, literally right here. Oh, so read those. Read, read um, those. Those are good. Yeah, so it's about other... like you know some a gay man living his life. <laughs> it's basically a gay Batman and Superman. Basically. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe <laughs> but we just need Orlando on, on the on the gay Wolverine book. Let's find that gay Wolverine <laughs> I from Extreme X Men and just have Orlando write it. <gasps> like so my <laughs> so my other point here is that. Something that often gets lost about Magic's origin is that Belasco is just another minor league devil to make a deal with. You know, Mephisto's kind of the main Marvel devil, Mm. but there's many others. And like, she definitely went through a lot of trauma and it's, we should never lose that about her. But you also have to kind of like explore a little bit the fact that she, by nature of being the ruler of Limbo, any deal you make with Magic is kind of also a deal with the devil. Even if she's not really like dark child magic really anymore, like you should not take her word for things necessarily, (laughs) or maybe you should. But I think that that's really interesting thing to do. And as I was reading, I kind of appreciated like Orlando has clearly been thinking about this all this time and he's been Mm -hmm. waiting for somebody to do it and nobody did it. And so he's like, well, I'm going to do it. And I think the only other person who's like gotten this close to like the truth of magic recently for me is Leah Williams in that, um, that what if it's like Dr. Strange, what if or magic oh, yeah. magic what yeah, if which was like the that, best that, comic book of yeah. what was it 2018 2019 uh so. so if you like this kind of stuff for magic <laughs> i think also go back and read that because i think leah williams gets it all right everybody that has been it for our discussion of this week's x-men issues and next week is going to be a big one because it has x core number one the new x-men title out from teeny howard it's going to have oh. Monet in it who we greatly enjoy so that is going to be a lot of fun it's also an issue of x factor never a dull Ooh. moment on this show and much to Faria's delight I believe we are scheduled for another issue of Children of the Atom yes yes, <laughs> yes! I hate all so, of you get ready y'all we are gonna it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be it's gonna be something next week on this week in X <laughs> 
So everybody get some sleep and and get some supplies <laughs> and button up because it's going to be a big episode next week. Uh, until then, Freya, why do we get together every week to talk about X-Men? Even if, even if it wasn't being recorded, why would we do this? Because X-Men is better when it's read together. That is right. So on behalf of myself, of Freya, Tyler, and Harry, I want to thank you all so much for listening to another episode of This Week in X. It's so much fun to talk about X-Men every week and to know I have this to look forward to, even if I'm not loving the books of the week. And so hopefully you are feeling that way a little bit too. So until next time, we hope that you are well, and we look forward to talking to you again. Bye. 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 Bye.